Good morning, and like I said earlier, Happy New Year. Um, gosh, as I was reflecting this week, it feels like this is the, the first new year that we've had as a church that we weren't reacting to something. Um, we're being proactive more than anything. I, we launched our church in 2018, and then we were in a middle school, and you know how that goes. You're constantly trying to build something, and, and, and once we started catching a little bit of that momentum, you start getting into the flywheel a little bit. Well, this, this small pandemic started, which changed everything. We had, to, um, we had to exit the middle school. We didn't know where we were going. This building came available. And then everything over the last couple of years has just been craziness. It's been reaction, reaction, reaction. And I, I was reflecting this week, it's, this is the year that we actually are beginning the year building onto something. And so what I wanted to do over the next three weeks, um, instead of jumping right into our Daniel series, I wanted to pause and, and do a short series on rhythms of growth because I think that this year is the year that for many of us, we are going to, by God's grace, experience um, growth in the Christian life in ways that, that the last couple years have actually built into us the ability to start growing because sometimes you got to cultivate the field in order for the plants to begin to grow and I think that's what God wants to do in our lives. So if you have a Bible, I hope that you grab that and meet me over in the book of John. We're going to be in John 15. So take a second, find your way over to John 15. You know, statistically speaking, 91% of people who make New Year's resolutions, 91% of them will not keep their New Year's resolutions more than a month. And the reason for that is, is because we tend not to develop systems that break down our goals into achievable ways. As a matter of fact, it's, it's January 8th at 11.08 a.m., and I would venture to guess that 41% of you have already given up on your goals. And here's why. Here's why. We say things like, I want to read through the Bible this year, and that's amazing. We get these Bible reading plans, and then we get into the thick of Leviticus, and we're like, what am I doing with my life? I don't know how to do this. Or I say, I want to start exercising. So I make my way over to the YMCA, and I pay an exorbitant amount of money for my YMCA membership, or I buy the new Peloton, and we all know how that goes, right? My Peloton is the most expensive clothing hanger that I have in the entire house. Every day, I put on the clothes that need to be hung up there, and I never ride the thing. What I want to do today is I want to help you rethink the way that you do your resolutions so that you can begin to change your lifestyle in a way that thinks in terms of, watch this, rhythms and not goals. See, goals, goals don't tend to work because goals have an end result. Here's what I mean by that. You can achieve your goal, and then what? Once you create these goals in your life and you work really hard and, and you achieve them, what happens next is we, we move on. See, the healthiest way, the healthiest way to live the Christian life is not by setting goals, but by creating rhythms. I want to introduce a phrase to you that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks, and it's this. It's called a rule of life, a rule of life. So here, here's what it looks like. You might, you might think this year, I want to read my Bible. That's a goal. A rule of life is that I want to set aside time every single day to cultivate a relationship with Jesus that will transform the rest of my life through prayer and Bible study. See, that's the difference. Goals have end results. Rules of life care about the process more than the end result. And for some of you, for some of you, let me just say this real quick, is some of you wear this badge of busyness like it's an honor that you have. Like you just got the Medal of Honor because you worked 70 hours this week and you never were home and you never saw your family. Listen, everyone is busy. 
And after, after well over a decade of being a pastor, here's one of the realities that I've come to know. It's this. Everybody does what they want to do. Hear what I'm saying? You might say you're too busy for something, but the reality is, is we all create the margin to achieve and to accomplish the things we want to do. This year, I want to ask you, what are the things you really want to do? You might be thinking, there's not enough hours in the day. Y'all, 24 hours is enough. If you had 36, you'd fill it with 36 hours worth of busy stuff to do, and you'd still be drained at the end of the day. The question is this, how do I want to spend my time this year? We need to create margin by sitting down. What I would say, and I'm going to show you this, is create a rule of life to intentionally schedule our life around specific rhythms that make our life more meaningful and more purposeful. Because at the end of the day, that's what we all want, don't we? Don't we want to have a life of meaning and purpose? Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to move from chaos and spontaneity to structure and intentionality. Okay? I think that Jesus wants to offer you something that is so much better than reacting. He wants to offer you freedom, and I'm telling you, freedom is marked by defining the box of structure in your life so that you can operate within it with grace given by God. So today I want to show you why all this matters in John chapter 15. Look at what he says. Jesus says, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Let, let me set the table for you. We normally don't jump into the middle of passages. We normally work through books of the Bible, but let me set the table for you to help you see how amazing what Jesus is saying. In the book of John, Jesus makes these I am statements over and over and over. As a matter of fact, it's what got him killed because it echoes what God told to Moses when Moses says, what is your name? And God says, I am. Jesus says this, and this is the seventh I am statement in the book of John. Here's what you need to know about God. God cares more about identity than he does activity. And you're going to see this. He doesn't say do this, do that. He says I am. Listen, God cares more about who you are than what you do. And the entire parable is about God shaping you into a certain type of person because he cares more about the type of person you are than you accomplishing a specific goal. He cares more about identity than he does activity. That's where I want you to go this year. The reason that we're looking at rules of life more than goals is because I don't particularly care about any of us accomplishing a certain set of goals. I care about us becoming more like Jesus and being the type of people that he would call us to be because if you'll do that, the goals will take care of themselves. So Jesus says, I am, seven times. And if you know anything about the Bible, seven is a very significant number. It's the number of completion. Jesus is showing you that he is the great and complete I am. And y'all, the imagery is amazing. The imagery is amazing. You see what he says? He's setting you back in a garden. If you ever look at the Bible and you look at it in particular detail, the Bible starts in a garden where God creates this intimacy with you and him the way it was always supposed to be. The moment before Jesus dies, where is he? He's in the garden of Gethsemane because he's walking back into the garden that you and I messed up so that he could walk into it and live it the way that you and I never did. And then the Bible ends in a garden where God is back with his people living and flourishing the way that it was always supposed to be, where heaven comes down to earth. And now Jesus in his significant seventh I am statement shows you that he is complete because he's bringing you back to this place to where God wants to cultivate you to have a life with him for all of eternity in a garden. Jesus is the vine. 
You know why that's important? Because he is the source of all life. Listen to me. Some of you need to hear me say this clearly. You are not the vine. You cannot be the vine for anybody else. You cannot be their source of significance or joy. You cannot be somebody else's everything. Jesus is the vine. And God, the Father, is a gardener. I love this imagery. He's continually pruning to make sure that you can be as healthy as possible. Notice that Jesus says that you are not the vine, you are the branches. Y'all, there's this beautiful interdependent play that is going throughout this whole parable to show you that there needs to be a connectivity between you and Jesus or else you are going to fall apart. The idea here is that you get your life from Jesus. And if you aren't connected to your source of life, you are going to be cut off from all of nourishment. How do I know that? Well, continually, Jesus says the goal of life is that you would bear much fruit. Y'all, some of you feel like you're withering away in emptiness. Some of you got up on New Year's and you're thinking, another year, another year of the same old stuff. Like, and here's why, because you continually pour water, if you will, onto a stick that's not connected to the vine. And it doesn't really matter how much goodness you pour onto it, if it's not connected to the source of life, it's just a dead stick sitting there. It doesn't matter how much you pour onto it. It doesn't matter if you change jobs, if you travel more, if you take the thrills of life, if you take care of yourself, if you look prettier. None of that matters because all at the end of the day, if you're not connected to your source, you're going to be busier and you're going to be more empty. Maybe you've been there. Here's the truth. Satan doesn't want you to know that there's a way to joy that you don't have to try harder to get. A.W. Tozer said it like this. Satan's greatest weapon is man's ignorance of God's word. Y'all, Satan doesn't want you to know that there is abundant joy that is found when you connect yourself to the source of life. He wants you to busy yourself. He wants you to have more activities, to do more, to try harder. He wants you to achieve more, to go everywhere. He wants you to travel more. To, to, at the expense of knowing that all you have to do in order to have more joy is to connect yourself to the source of joy. Here's what you need to know. Jesus is the vine. Work's not the vine. Your family's not the vine. Your kids aren't divine. Your spouse isn't divine. He is your connection point for life. He's the outlet that you need to plug into. Now this, my father is the vine dresser. Think about what a gardener does. That's all a vine dresser is. A gardener has one job, and that's to make sure that the plants grow. So he intentionally invests in the plants. He spends time with them. He cultivates the soil for growth. He tills the ground. He waters the plants. He picks the weeds. He prunes the plants. What you need to know is that God is in it for your ultimate joy. God wants your ultimate good, and sometimes he has to prune life in order for you to experience that. Isn't this what it says in verse 2? Every branch in me, Jesus says, that does not bear fruit, he, the Father, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. God disciplines those he loves. Listen to me. One of the worst things in the entire planet is a child that grew up with no discipline. Martin Luther King, didn't he say the only thing worse than hate is indifference? I told my daughter this last night after we went round and round about my job as a dad. I said, Addison, I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to be your dad. And I love you far too much to do anything that you want whenever you want because you're gonna turn into the type of people that none of us like. 
God disciplines those he loves because he wants you to bear more fruit. At the end of the day, God sometimes prunes you because he loves you. And listen to me, God's pruning is not his judgment. One of the biggest mistakes that we make in the cultural South is this. We have bought into the lie that prosperity is always God's blessings. That's not true. It might sell books, but it's not true. Sometimes the most loving thing that God can do in your life is not to give you the things that you want because he wants something far better for you. How many countless stories have we heard of people who have become wildly successful that had terribly difficult lives? Did you know this? Statistically speaking, 75% of the most successful people on the planet, they say, came from backgrounds that had massive amounts of struggle. Researchers will tell you that most of them had stories of abuse or a loss of a parent, or they went through something significantly difficult in their lives. It's like working out. Some of you are experiencing this because it's New Year's and you decided to get back in the gym. Working out really, really stinks for the first couple weeks. Your muscles hurt, you're tired, you're drained, because when you work out, you have to tear down the muscles in order to build them up stronger. Sometimes God in his providence and his goodness allows you to be torn down so that you can be closer to the strength that is found in him. So he cuts you back in the winter seasons so that you can flourish in the spring times of life. Y'all, weeds grow rapidly. Fruit takes cultivation. It takes hard work. It takes intentionality. It takes healthy discipline. By the way, that's why goals aren't the goal. A healthy rule of life is the goal because the idea is not achieving something but being someone. And God cares more about who you are than what you do. So what if this was the year in your life that you stopped viewing God's pruning as punishment and started viewing it as blessings? Because here's what we know. Here's what we know. Every one of us knows this. The people, the people who have had everything handed to them in life my, my sister lives in Manhattan. She calls them trust fund babies. She's, the people that have had everything handed to them in life, when adversity hits, will either crumble and despair because they have no resources to handle it, or they'll become the worst kind of arrogant because they will believe the lie that they are a self-made man, and neither one of those are true, and both of those lead you further and further away from your source of life. Malcolm Muggeridge, in his book, Jesus Rediscovered, he says one of the most profound quotes that none of us are gonna like. Suppose you eliminated suffering, what a dreadful place the world would be. I would almost rather eliminate happiness. The world would be the most ghastly place because everything that corrects the tendencies of this unspeakable little creature, man, to feel over-important and over-pleased with himself would disappear. He's bad enough now, but would be absolutely intolerable if he never suffered. So God prunes those he loves. And here's what the truth. Pruning often hurts. It doesn't always feel good to be pruned, but do you know what I know? The gardener is never closer than when he's pruning the plant. It's an intimacy. You see, this is what happens. What you believe is you believe that God is distant, but really, the reality is, is God is intimately in the details when he's pruning you, he's holding you, he's touching you. Listen, what you have to understand, and you see this all the way throughout the Bible, the safest place in life is not in security. The safest place in life is with Jesus. So oftentimes, God is bringing you closer because he wants to do something in the middle of your mess. If you belong to Jesus, you need to know this. God's not punishing you because he's already punished Jesus in your place. Instead, God is pruning you because he wants you to be closer to your greatest source of joy. 
The goal of life is not comfort or success, but it's to be more like Jesus, and God cares too much about you not to let that happen. Now, here's the hard truth. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But the type of life you live reveals what you believe. This is what he says. See, the gardener's job is to cut off any plant that's dead. Listen, God wants you to thrive and he wants you to grow in every way, but there's gonna come a time in your life where you're going to have to stop playing the games and you're gonna have to, you're either gonna have to say, God, I believe you and I want you to work through me, or you're not. Jesus is gonna go on to say that a fruitless life is a useless life. Let let me say this really quickly though, because I wanna balance the scales, okay? Here's what you need to know. Progress is not perfection. Some of you need to cut yourself some slack. Like if you look back on your life 15 years ago and who you are now, you're a totally different person. Yeah, you, you're continually messing up. I get that, but you are totally different and you've come a long way. You, you know, there's a proverb that says a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up. Do you remember that word seven? You remember what it means? Continually? You hear what the proverb's saying? A righteous man, meaning right people that God accepts, continually fails. The difference is, is they get back up. Some of you need to understand that God just wants you to get back up. King David, some of the worst failures on the planet. He killed a man. He had an affair with a woman. And what did God say? He's a man after his own heart because he got back up. Some of you need to understand that God's not after perfection in this life because it's not possible. He's after progress and interdependence. He's after you getting back up and you go in and plugging yourself back into the source of joy. That's the point. And here's how you do it. Verse four. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. You ready? Abide in me. There it is. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. J.C. Ryle, the old Puritan, here's how he said abiding is. Abiding in Christ means to keep a habit of constant and close communion with him. Y'all, that's relational language. It's not knowledge language, it's relational language. You see, some of you know a lot about Jesus. Some of you know a lot about Jesus like you know a lot about the Kardashians. For some reason, you know what they had for dinner last night, you know everything about them, you know what they do, you watch them on TV, but the reality is if you ran into the Kardashians on the street outside, they would not know who you are. You get that, right? Because there's a difference between knowing a lot about somebody and knowing someone, and the difference is relationship. Y'all, there's a lot of us that know a lot about Jesus, but we don't have a relationship with him. Abiding is to remain, to cultivate, to dig into, to walk with. And here's how you do it. You do it by this. God puts his spirit inside of you. When you come to faith, God puts his spirit inside of you so that you can begin to cultivate a relationship with Jesus. Paul says that we should fan into flame the spirit that is already inside of us. That means that there's an ember there that you, as you cultivate, will grow into a flame. The more you do that, the more the fruit of the spirit will come out of you. So here's the rule of life, the big idea in a nutshell, abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Here's what will happen. As you abide, as you cultivate, what will begin to well up inside of you is the fruit of the Spirit. You know what they are? 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Here's the lie. The lie is that you can become more loving. The lie is you can become more kind. The lie is you can do all these things. You realize they were a fruit of the Spirit. So what ends up happening is the more you pursue Jesus, the more you naturally become more loving. The more you naturally become more um, kind. See, because it's not about knowing a bunch of stuff. It's about cultivating a relationship with Jesus. I've told you this before. I'll continue to tell you this. Satan has greater theology than all of us in this room combined. He knows the scriptures. He quoted them back to Jesus. He knows everything that there is to know about you. He actually knows them intimately. He's known them for a long, long, long time. You know what the difference between Satan is and you? He chooses not to abide. He chooses not to grow in and cultivate a relationship. It's the same reason why many of your New Year's resolutions don't work. What ends up happening is you take good fruit and you staple it to a bad tree, right? Imagine if I went out front and I looked at the pine tree in the front yard that's dying and I said, you know what? I'm gonna go to Publix and I'm gonna go buy these overpriced, overinflated red apples and I'm gonna come home and I'm gonna staple them to this tree. What's gonna end up happening is you still have a dead tree and you're gonna have dead fruit in a couple weeks and that's what many of our New Year's resolutions look like. I'm gonna stop watching porn. I'm gonna stop cussing. I'm gonna start treating my kids better. I'm gonna start working out. And they're good fruit, really good things. But you never address the root and that's why it never works. Jesus says, stop trying to staple good fruit to a bad tree and cultivate a relationship with me. And what I'll do is I'll I'll nourish the roots of the tree and you'll begin to produce the fruit of your life that will change you from the inside out. The Christian life is meant to be about connecting with Jesus where the currents of Christ flow back and forth between you and him. Y'all, one of the things that I love the most about my Pentecostal friends is they have a deep trust in the abiding work of the Spirit in their life. Every time I hang out with some of you in this room, that's all you talk about. And I continue to think, man, I want to trust God like that. The end of the book of Luke, I was reading in my Bible reading plan this week, um, right before Jesus ascended into heaven, he's meeting with the disciples. And one of the things I loved is he said, he, he opened up the scriptures, the, the Old Testament, and he began to show them from beginning to end how the entire thing was about him. Do you know that? You know this entire thing is about Jesus and his love for you. And then he said, hey, I'm gonna go to the Father, but I'm going to clothe you. Go back and read it in the book of Luke. I'm gonna clothe you with the power on high and you're gonna be my witnesses. Do you know what the power on high is? The spirit of God living in you. It's the most amazing thing when you think about it. God wants to make his residence inside of you. Y'all, sometimes I think there is a, there's a power on high ready to be released in all of our lives and all we have to do All we have to do is ask God to move in our lives and he's like, I'm ready to do it. But some of you think that you have to create a bunch of checklists and a bunch of rules and sets of things to do. Listen, you don't have to do that to experience it. Write this down. Here's what you need to do. Intersect your life with Jesus instead of adding him to your life. Intersection says, God, I want you to be every part of the spheres of every part of my life. I want to be a better parent. I want to rely on you. I want to work through this life. I want, to, I want you to change the kind of person that I am, and then the results would come. You see, the goals worry about the results. A rule of life worries about cultivating so that you become those things. Addition is a goal that says, I want to read my Bible more, attend church more. Right, and I create a bunch of lists to do that. Jesus wants you to abide in him because if you aren't connected to him, you might be able to accomplish a lot of good stuff, but according to the Bible, you are going to be totally dead. So let's get real practical. To abide in Jesus means that you trust him 
as your source of life. Here's the question I have for you today. Do you trust that Jesus is your ultimate source of life? You know how you know? When stuff hits the proverbial fan, what do you turn to first? Type A people like me, you probably have a list of things. If I just budget this or do this, if I do that, I can knock these things off the list. And I turn to Jesus last. See, the question is, what you turn to first tends to be the thing that you bite in the most. Is it your own skills and your own abilities? Do you turn to despair and to depression? Or do you turn to God and you say, God, I need you to do these things? Because here's the, at the end of the day, let me just tell you, lists are not a bad thing. I have a lot of lists and I'm systematic. But lists are a means to an end and the spiritual disciplines are a means to an end and the end is worship. It's not checking things off of a list. It's like this, when you fell in love, nobody had to tell you that you needed to spend time together. You didn't need a list that said, I need to go out on a date, I need to write them a letter, or I guess 2023, send them a text or something on Instagram. No, you wanted to do it, right? Those lists, they're not there because you need to accomplish a task, they're there because you care deeply about spiritual intimacy with Jesus. Now, I want you to notice something deeply theological in the text. If you miss it, you'll miss the entire point of the whole thing. It's in verse three. It's subtle, but it's so important. It says this, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Here's what's going on here. Jesus is about to show, show you the list of abiding things you need to do, but before he does that, he goes, let me pause for a second because I know that you're gonna make this a religious checklist. You are already clean. Here, here's what he's saying. Friends, I've already done everything necessary to save you. I've got something deeper going on here and it's not about you checking off a list. It's about the fact that I wanna make you become whole. See, the, the, the myth is this, is that when Jesus came and he saved us, he did it for a future eternity to where you can be miserable for 80 years, die and go on an eternity where you'll have joy. That's not how it works. That's not how it was ever supposed to work. The reality is that the moment you came to faith, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation now. The moment you came to faith, it was almost like God was infusing you with a joy that's ready to be unleashed so that heaven and earth can meet together one day. So you don't have to wait until you die to have joy. He wants to give you abundant joy now. He says, already you are clean. It's not about you earning your way. It's about me making you whole. All that matters because it's not about a future salvation, but it's about human flourishing now. Creating rules of life, abiding in Jesus, they are the way to find real significance in your life. So let me give you, I wanna get real practical. I'm gonna give you four really practical ways that you can eliminate the space to have an abundant life with Jesus. These are not the ways to have an abundant life. These are the ways to create the margin to have them. They're super practical. Here's number one. You ready? Take your phone out of your bedroom. Take your phone out of your bedroom. This might be the most important piece of advice I can give you. Put your phone on a charger downstairs or in your bathroom, in your bedroom, and get it out of the bedroom because if you don't, it will become the last thing you look at at night and the first thing you look at in the morning. Studies show continually that the things that you fill your mind with first and the things you fill your mind with last control your thought life. So if you spend hours going through reels on TikTok and you wonder how in the world is it midnight, I started looking at this at 8.30, what do you think is gonna control your life? When you have these endless reels of numbness happening in your life. Here's a quick and easy piece of advice for you. You ready? Put your phone to bed. Tuck it in. 
put in this nice little neat charger downstairs or wherever you need to do it. Get an alarm clock if you do. Most of you have smartphone or smart watches. Turn on, turn on an alarm there. Do whatever you need to do because here's what I want to start doing. I want to end my day talking to Jesus and my beautiful wife and not TikTok. Matter of fact, I'll just tell you, confession time, this week I made a resolution, if you will, that every time I come home from work, and you can ask her, the very first thing I do is I take my cell phone out of my pocket and I hand it to her because I'm not smart enough or can, I don't have enough self-control to do it myself. So I say, you take it. I want to be present with you for the rest of the night. So take it out. Take it away. Spend time with Jesus and spend time with your spouse and I promise you it will revolutionize your life. You think you need more time? What you need is you just need to eliminate all the mess. Here, which leads to number two. Set screen time limits that don't allow you to view certain images. And, and, and here's, here's the way you do that. Again, my wife has my passcode to my screen time limits because the last thing I'm gonna do is walk up to her and be like, hey, can you type in the password so I can spend more time looking at this stuff? Right? Yo, Jesus wants you to renew your minds in spiritual worship and the way that you do it is you fill it with good stuff because your mind becomes molded to the stuff that you look at all the time. I, I, I read a book once that talked about how um, sexual intimacy with multiple partners and watching stuff online have the same effect. The psychologists say it's like putting duct tape on your wrist. They, they said the first time you put it on your wrist and you pull it off, a lot of you comes off with it, right? Your skin, your hair follicles, they all come off with it. That's the first time you, you engage in those kind of activities. But what they said is over time, what ends up happening, you put it back on and you take it off and a little bit less of you comes off and a little bit less of you comes off and a little bit less of you comes off. And over time, you become numb to the fact that these things are happening and you lose the ability to love it all. This is what happens when we numb ourselves with all the stuff around us is we, we, end up, we end up becoming less. Listen, we don't, we don't get hurt anymore. We become numb, right? We don't, we don't become unloving. We become unlovable. God wants something so much better for you. And the easiest way you can feel again is to abide in him. And it's not by working harder, it's by working smarter. You don't need to muster up enough strength to do these things. You don't need to have more margin in my life by putting things. No, you need to build systems that help you do it. It's, it's really that simple. Take your phone out, grab screen time limits, give somebody a passcode, and don't allow yourself to go to those things anymore. And by the way, don't put yourself in those trigger spaces where you know that those things always happen. It's just be smarter. All of this, all of this, will help you clear the space to abide in Jesus without ever adding an extra second to your life. Here's number three. Focus on relationship, not task. Y'all, that's the main thrust of this passage. The key difference between a resolution and a rule of life is relationship because the Christian life is not about religious checklists and things to do. You don't go to church because you have to go to church. We don't want you to come to church because you have to check it off your list. There's something deeper going on in here. Here's how I've explained it a million times. When we come collectively to church, each of us has an individual relationship with God. Your individual relationship with God and how he speaks to you is like viewing God from a different angle. When we all come together, we each take our individual relationships with God and we bring them together and we get to see a whole and complete picture of God together. That's not possible when we're 
a part. So as you're walking through the mess of your life and I watch you do it, the next season of life when I walk through the mess of it, I can actually go back and watch how you did it. As you're walking through joy, I can celebrate the joy. As you're cultivating a relationship with Jesus, I celebrate that cultivation and I get to see a fuller and complete picture of God. Do you realize that Jesus says the greatest commandments in the Bible are to love God and to love people? One is a vertical relationship where you need to cultivate this loving relationship with God and he pours into you. And the outflowing of that is this horizontal relationship where we love one another. Y'all, it's all about relationship. And let me say this, the fruit of life, the proof of the fruit of life is your love. Do you love God? Do you love God and do you love the people around you? Are you naturally loving? By the way, this is why Bible study and prayer matter so much. Can I explain this to you? The same word that spoke the galaxies into existence, the same one that spoke and planets came and he hung the stars in the sky, he encapsulated into this word. The power of God in your life, he wants to speak to you. You realize that? God didn't have to speak and he chose to. So the way you cultivate a relationship is you read this word, this powerful word, because he speaks through it. And then you pray back to him. And as you pray to him, as you pray to him, what you do is you begin to build a relationship because every relationship has speaking, listening, speaking, listening. That's how it works. I'm gonna give you a couple of resources to be real practical at the end, but let me just give you one right now. This book, A Praying Life by Paul Miller, is the most practical book I've ever read on how to cultivate a praying life. I know all of you guys have your iPhones in your hands, so if you wanna just snap a picture of this so you don't forget, snap a picture of it, grab onto it, read this, it's easy, it's practical. It will give you the how-tos of praying. Again, let me get real practical. When you take the phone out of the bedroom, when you take it out of your hands, you can fill it with something different. Here, here's my suggestion. Where your phone charger used to be, why don't you put a Bible? so that you naturally grab onto that instead of grabbing onto something else. Why don't you take 10 minutes, 10 minutes in the morning and just read that before you ever do anything else. And when you go to bed at night, why don't you do that? Because here's what will end up happening is you'll renew your mind and that will become spiritual worship. And over time, you will start to think God's thoughts after him. The things that fill up the pages of scripture will begin to come out of you. When you bleed, you'll, be, you'll bleed the gospel. And you'll begin to change into the type of person that God wants you to be because abiding is the way to bear the fruit. See what I'm saying? Let me, let me help you here. I want, again, I'm gonna be real practical today. Let me give you four things that make prayer easy. Right, here's a list. You can write them down if you want. When you pray, start with thanksgiving. Just, just begin by thanking God. Do you realize that if you have breath in your lungs, that's a gift from God? Thank God for the things that he's given you. Uh, there, there's a humility that happens whenever you confess, which is number two, God, all of this is from you. All of this is from you, and I need you. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me everything you had. I need you, God, so I confess my need for you. Then you begin to ask questions. God, would you do this? Would you do that? Would you bless my family? Would you save my friends? Here, here's a litmus test for you, and this one might sting a little bit. If God answered every prayer that you prayed in the last 48 hours, would anybody benefit other than you? Would anybody be in heaven other than you? See, when you start with thanking God, confessing your need for him, I think it naturally changes your prayers. They stop being selfish and start being selfless, which then ends with thanksgiving again. Thank him again. 
Y'all, the more you can see that your source of life is found in a relationship with Jesus and not achievements, the more you will be filled with life. Let me just say it again. He is already pleased with you. I think you need to listen to that. He is already pleased with you. Before you ever did anything good or bad, he died for you. Before there was ever a hair on your head, he knew you in your mother's womb. He's already pleased with you. I say, well, he's already pleased with you. Some of you still think that there's a checklist. He's already pleased with you. This is about wholeness and completeness. Number four, cultivate gratitude. Now, this one's personal to me. I, I told this to our elder team before we left for Christmas. This one's really personal to me because I feel like we live in a world where everything is so mopey and sad. We're always grumbling about what we don't have and, and how bad things are. And, I just, and it's a glass half empty kind of world. But here's what I want you to see is that it's not. It's not. Whenever you realize that, it, that you have so many blessings in your life, that you live in the place that you live, in the time that you live, that you have the job that you had. Look, y'all, one of the easiest ways to cultivate a, an abiding relationship with Jesus is start to change your mindset about what you think about with life. Here's a practical thing you can do. Wake up in the morning in that bedside right there, grab a pen and a sheet of paper and write down three things that you're thankful for. After you write those three things down, take them to the dinner table that you're gonna have dinner with your family and have everybody in the dinner share exactly what you're thankful for. Don't just do it once a year on Thanksgiving. Do it all the time because here's what will end up happening. You will begin to rewrite the neural pathways in your mind to start seeing the world differently. You'll see it with more joy. You'll be more thankful. And as you do that, it will become easier to abide in Jesus because it helps you develop the rhythms of relationship that you see that God is good. He really is. Y'all, these four things, they're super practical. Get the phone out of the bedroom. Set screen time limits. Work deeply on relationships and not tasks. And cultivate gratitude. And watch what God does in your life. 2023 is the year that some of you need to stop filling yourself with tasks and start resting in the fact that he is already pleased with you. And he wants something so much more for you. That's what the promise of this passage is. Look at it in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Don't just, don't just read over that. Look how profound that is. Jesus is saying, if you abide in me and I in you, ask whatever you wish. That's a promise and it will be done for you. That's an amazing promise. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You see that? I have loved you. I have loved you. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Let me just say this really quickly. One of the biggest myths is that commandments, keeping God's commandments, are a negative. You realize that God created the systems of this world to help you flourish. I've never met anybody that got to the end of their life and they're like, oh my gosh. I can't believe I stayed married and I fell in love with my wife and I loved her sacrificially and I love my kids. I can't believe that I followed Jesus all the days of my life, that I was honest with other people. I can't believe that I was generous and kind and that my life was filled with purpose and people were like, I wish I had a do-over. I wish I could go mess it all up. 
You know, the reality is, is God's commandments are not restrictive. They're the, they're the air that you're supposed to breathe so that you can have nourishment and love in this life and that you, practically speaking, your life tends to be more joyful and happy if you just walk with Jesus. If you keep my commandments, I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That is the goal of life with Jesus. He wants to fill you up with overflowing joy to the max. And isn't that what we all want? Don't you want a life of contentment and joy? Don't you want a life of experiencing the overflowing love of God? But the way you do that is by cultivating. It's leaning into being someone, not accomplishing something. So again, I wanna land the plane real practically. Here's four ways that you abide. So the four that I just showed you are ways that you clear the space to abide. Here's four ways that you abide. Number one is prayer. Notice he says, ask whatever you will and it will be given to you. Yo, there's something powerful about prayer because it helps you to abide. You need to be a person of prayer this year. Here's how it works. As you spend more time with Jesus, you begin to think differently about life. You begin to think his thoughts after him. As you begin to think differently about life, your prayers begin to change and you begin to pray the things that God would have prayed if he were you. See, and then God answers those prayers. That's, that's the reality of life. God wants you to build a rhythm of cultivating because it changes you to the certain type of person and God blesses the mess out of that. So we need to build rhythms of prayer. Martin Luther, the, the great reformer, he, he said that prayers should be short, consistent prayers because that's how every relationship works. Like I don't sit down with my wife for one hour in the morning, we talk for an hour, and then we don't talk the rest of the day. No, we're continually communicating because that's what you do in relationships. Prayers should be short, consistent, relational prayers. Talk to God consistently, all right? Now, with that, with that, I do think that you need to set aside intentional time with God. Like me and my wife, we talk every day, but we still need to date one another. We still need to have intentional time where we get the babysitter, pay her way too much money, and we go out and have dinner together and spend time together. Some of you need to cultivate time with God where you set aside time of solitude so that you can get alone with Jesus. You, you know, the reality is many of us have so much noise going on in our life that we will never actually hear from God. When was the last time you just drove home with the radio off and sat in silence? I think some of you won't do that because you're afraid of what's gonna happen when you're sitting with your own thoughts. And the, no the silence is deafening, isn't it? See, as you fill it up with him, what ends up happening is he begins to speak into here, into the silence of who you are, and you can respond as you listen. God wants you to talk continually, spend time with him, and then set aside some intentional time of silence and solitude. And he speaks into that in ways that will change your life. Number two, serve. Serve. Y'all, serving is the essence of love. If you will take the time to serve, what you will find is that you'll begin to think about other people more than yourself and you'll become selfless instead of selfish. The healthiest way to cultivate joy is to stop thinking about yourselves. And, and here's what it does, is it takes your eyes off of you and it takes your eyes onto somebody else and you begin to see the world differently. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. This is why I love Christmas so much as an adult. 
Like there's nothing better than we get up on Christmas morning and our kids begin to unwrap the presents and I'm peeking over like, and I get to see what they got for Christmas for the very first time for me, right? <laughs> my, my son came running downstairs on Christmas morning and we got him a dirt bike and you can judge me all you want, but I love that my boy is a little boy and he goes outside and he rides this thing and the joy on his face. He's like, oh, I got a dirt bike. And I'm like, you got a dirt bike. And we put on his helmet and he went in the backyard and we just played together. And the joy, the joy that came to me and Allison as we sipped on a cup of coffee and we watched our kids just fall over on the gifts that they got, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And when you show up to this place on Sunday mornings and you give your time, what you do is you cultivate the possibility for other people to meet with Jesus. I know all the excuses. It's a lot of time to attend one in Surfland. It is, it is, but my kids do it every week and you know what they've learned? They've learned that we prioritize Jesus over everything and what they've begun to do is they've begun to see that serving is an attitude that we have in our family and now they want to be a part of it. It, it, It's a commitment, yes, obviously it's a commitment, but here's what you do is you, you open the doors for people to experience Jesus. It's beautiful. Did you realize that statistically speaking, people make a decision on a church within the first 10 minutes of being there? That means before they have to sit through my long sermons, they've already determined if they're gonna come back because of you, because how you've served them, because how you've loved them. God is using you to change people's lives. Y'all, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you will serve, what you will find is that God will change your disposition towards other people and even towards yourself. Number three, relationships again. Here's what, we, here's what we get from the parable. The father has an interdependent relationship with his son and you are built in the relational image of God, which means that God has designed you for relationships. Some of you need to start cultivating some deep friendships this year. You know, one of the saddest things is this. Most people statistically cannot name any of their parents' friends. You know why? Because they didn't have any. You know, many of us are relationally and spiritually poor. And God has called us and designed us to live life with one another. Like, you need to have friends that are of the same sex as you that you develop and cultivate godly, intimate relationships with like David did with Jonathan, like Jesus did with his disciples. And we have designed a way for you to do that. We call that small groups. Our small groups are not just Bible studies. Matter of fact, I just got into a small group over the last couple of weeks, and I'm telling you, I've gone to church with these people for a while, and I know them more intimately and better than I ever had because we're spending time together. We're investing in a relationship that we can grow and flourish in. It's one of the healthiest things you can do is get connected this year to other people and live life together. Here's the last one. I'll go quick. Take care of your body. One of the things I've learned is we don't have a body, you are a body. There's a major difference there. God has designed you for rest, renewal, and exercise. If you keep your computer on 24-7, it's gonna crash. If you never turn off your car, ever get an oil change, it's gonna die. If you never slow down and rest, you're gonna ruin your body. God has designed you to rest because he He wants you to flourish. Listen to me, it takes so much humility and trust to rest in God. Can can I just tell you this in in the most humble way? You're not that big of a deal. If you take a day off, it's gonna be okay. The world's gonna be just fine. You know who's not gonna be fine if you don't? You 
your kids, and your spouse. You need to rest. If you have breath in your lungs, God has gifted you to steward this thing called your body. Can I tell you what the Greek word for demon is in the Bible? iPhone. The Hebrew equivalent is Netflix. The average person spends four and a half hours a day on their phones, on screen time. And that doesn't even count the amount of time you watch TV. We have binge watched about six episodes of Yellowstone in the last three days. And before you judge me, I want you to know that our elders watch it too. It's very good. The evil you fill your minds with changes who you are. Intake. What are you putting in your body? And what are you putting in your mind? It will change the type of person you are this year. I don't think God wants you to accomplish a bunch of tasks. I think he wants you to be a certain type of person. Here's the rule of life. Be someone. Don't just achieve something. Be someone. I want to be someone that my kids, my church, and my family are proud of. I want to be someone that God smiles down on and says, well done. Well done, you good and faithful servant. So four things this year, or four resources, as I wrap up today, that I just think will help you, that have helped me, helped my family, helped our church. Paul Miller's A Praying Life, great resource, practical prayer. John Mark Homer wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. We read this as a staff and as an elder team this year, and it is fantastic. Absolutely incredible. Brother Lawrence, you know you've made it when they start calling you brother. You either live in the South or you've made it. Practicing the presence of God. Y'all, this is it right here. This book, any book that lasts more than three years is a good book. This book's been around a long time. And then this one, The Rest of God, it's a book on Sabbath rest. I can't tell you how much we need to slow down and rest. These four books are great resources. If you want to take a picture of them at the end or whatever, you can grab them. But this is the year. This is the year that I believe that God wants to do something in your life. But he doesn't want you to accomplish something. He wants you to be someone. Abide in him. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this word. God, thank you for the patience of our people to let me ramble on for so long sometimes. I pray that these sermons would edify us, would grow us in our love and affection for you. I pray they wouldn't just be something we do, but they would change us into someone you want us to be. Jesus, we need you to do that. We're asking you to do that. And we're praying it all in your name. Amen.